When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, welcome to another episode. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any more subtleties that we should add to this, but um, it's nice to see you all. I, I said that we were going to be doing a Yemen episode, uh, kind of like a Q&A session, but I mean, we're going to, it's not going to be like a Q&A, formal Q&A. Uh, Danny and I are just going to talk about Yemen later in the podcast, and we're going to talk about some other stuff as well. But the first thing I want to ask Danny, um, Danny, did you listen to my podcast yesterday? Yeah, yeah, I almost finished it actually. <clears throat> nearly done what are your thoughts well i mean i think as usual you do a really good job at framing your arguments around what is said rather than framing your arguments around what you believe or like you know what your gut is telling you so i really love when you insert you know specifically you were talking about tulsi gabbard and her town hall and you're inserting her lines and i obviously always love when you interject her with like funny little snips and shit um but, uh, I mean, a lot of it I agreed with, uh, a lot of it I was with you on, um, not everything, of course, maybe we can talk about that at, at a, at a later juncture, but, um, it was pretty straightforward, man. I, I liked it. All right. The man likes it. And I obviously know what you disagreed with. Um, <laughs> some of the claims I made about something that happened in a certain part of the Middle East. However, yeah, I'm not trying <laughs> to plug in conspiracy theories. I just want to say it right now. I'm not trying to plug in conspiracy theories. I'm no Alex Jones, the frogs are gay or something like that. Like I'm saying things that I've read documents that I have been given. I got good CIA people. I got good CIA <laughs> people telling me these things. Yeah. The intergalactic child molesters are going to be coming and abducting your kids. Um, <laughs> I'm not doing that sort of thing. I'm just like going through news articles and, and I'm hearing different things and like people tell me things and I look it up and I do my own research and it, yeah, obviously there's confirmation bias when you're looking things up, but I mean, I have strong opinions on the Syrian war. Everyone knows that you can tell me that I'm an Assad apologist. You can tell me I'm a Russian apologist, but I don't really give a fuck. It's my opinion. So I'm just going to go from there and um, you can check out, you can do your own research if you think that my the things that I've said about chemical weapons are so outlandish. Um, however, <laughs> other than that, other than this chemical weapon thing, um, we were talking about the DNC. Um, we were talking about the primary. We were talking about uh, Tulsi Gabbard, Bernie Sanders. Um, I didn't re watch the rest of the town hall. Um, Tulsi Gabbard was really the only candidate I was interested in, in hearing 
Um, the rest, of, I didn't. I don't even know who spoke after that. To be completely honest, did did Warren speak or did she speak yeah. today? Or actually, I don't know. I got to check on that. The, the, the Tulsi Gabbard one was the only one that I've seen clips of. I got to go back and watch the rest of them. Well, she's the only one who has kind of like a, a different position, like a position that's not the status quo. So I wanted to see, I wanted to hear what she said. Um, that being said, I think Tulsi Gabbard doesn't really have a high chance of winning the, the nominee. I don't, I don't think she has a high chance. I think Bernie Sanders has the highest chance by far. Um, sure. I think there's probably about a 70 to 80% chance that he's, that he is the nominee on 2020. Barring any, any barring, radical changes. Barring anything <laughs> crazy that happens, which, I mean, there's no reason to expect that. I mean, he is older, but he seems to be in good health. Like he's traveling, he's doing. Oh, I'm not even talking about his speeches. health. I'm talking about like, like, you know, the, Two years is a long time in politics. You know, like anything can happen. You two know? two years is a long time in politics, but I think the, the the main thing I'm getting at is that it's a pretty weak field. I don't know if you agree with this or not, but it's a crowded field. Maybe because the field is so crowded, it seems very weak because there's just so many voices. But all in all, I'm not even. I'm trying to say this like without leaning a, a, a particular way politically. Um, I, I don't really see anyone who's generating that excitement. I see a lot of the people who are running, like Kamala Harris and um, and um, why can't I think of his name? Cory Booker and who else? Who else is running? I'm forgetting. Warren, uh, Gillibrand, Gillibrand, D's nuts. I think D's nuts has a good <laughs> chance. I know he always runs. Yeah, he always gets like some nut. Deez Nuts gets, like, always a non-zero vote, you know? Like, somebody always votes for Deez Nuts, w- without a doubt. Does he run as a Republican or a Democrat? I forget. I don't know. I think, Republican, I, think he might right? be an, I think he might be an independent, actually, if, if, if I'm not mistaken. I got to look that up. I want to donate to his campaign. <laughs> you, you brought up a point that I want to uh, counter real fast, and that's, you know, you said it's a crowded field, and everybody's got, like, the same message and all this other shit. And I feel like we're having a little bit of, like, political amnesia. Uh, just not, you know, two and a half plus years ago, uh, the same issues were happening in the Republican Party. Remember, they had a fuck ton of people on there in their primaries, too, and they're basically all saying the same shit, too. Yeah, and guess who won? The oddball one. Right, the fucking weirdo, right? So, but but my point is that, I, like, I don't think it's a weak field, because if, to say that this was a weak field, it would also be to say that the Republican field was pretty weak. I mean, I guess maybe you could make that argument because of what we got out of it. Um, you can 100%. I think that's objectively true that it was a weak field. Like Donald Trump won the yeah. nominee. I'm, I'm just seeing a lot of like negative comments, especially on Reddit. Like I, I, I mentioned this on the podcast before. I subscribe to uh, subreddits for conservative subreddits, subreddits for libertarian subreddits, and of course, subreddits for liberal subreddit. And I try and I try my best to like see what everybody's talking about just to get just to formulate my own opinions and i'm seeing a lot of stuff on the conservative side that feels to me a lot like political amnesia you know a lot of the um you know um criticisms that are being leveled against you know the 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 amount of people that are running and like how how homogenous the message is and all this other shit is exactly the same um as what what the left was leveling against the right uh during the same um political uh, uh, um, season. And so one thing I got to say is like, if you're on the right, you should be very, very 
uh, afraid. If you truly believe that the that the left's um, lineup is weak, because from a from a left leaning perspective, what happened out of a weak Republican field was we got Trump. And like you know, be on whatever side of it you want. Like if you're a liberal, you probably don't really love that outcome, right? And if I'm on the right and I'm looking at this this democratic field right now and I think that it's weak and I think that there's so many people, I would be afraid that some populist crazy person is going to pop out of the there already is one. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Do I have to be more obvious? <laughs> I don't think Bernie Sanders is crazy, but that's just my opinion. Well, he's um, definitely a populist. Yeah, for sure. He's a populist, um, but he's not crazy, right? And 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 he's like, if you really like sit down and just like listen to him talk, like level headed, really reasonable shit. I mean, he has stark differences of opinion on how to govern, but he's not insane, right? He doesn't say things that are off the cuff. He doesn't he doesn't uh, purport uh, uh, facts or or figures that don't exist, right? He's he's really straightforward about what he talks about when he's. When he outlines his plans, he has concrete evidence to back it up. Now, whether or not you agree with with his with the route that he wants to take to better those issues, he's not he's not talking bullshit when he says, you know, uh, uh, how many people are uninsured or like how many people are are in cri- crippling debt from student loans or or any of that shit. Like he's not lying about shit like that, you know. Whereas, you know, if we look at our dear leader Trump, you know, he just during the course of the of the Republican debates and to this day will just straight up lie, you know, or will quote sources that don't exist or facts that aren't true. You know, I mean, like the, the fact checkers on, on the, you know, in, in the political spectrum went nuts on on Trump and still do to this day. You know, so to say that he's crazy, I disagree with that. Um, to say that his policy ideas won't work, you can make that argument. And and we can have a debate about that, but I'm I'm not going with he's crazy. Uh, insane? No, I don't think he's insane. I just think that his. I mean, I don't want to jump at this as a political level because I want to get into the the part of the topic, and I know we can debate all day about it. But right. as somebody who is right leaning, I'm pretty sure any frequent listener knows that by now. Um, I think his policies are kind of weird, and counterproductive but like i don't want to just like go into the weeds of that we got to do an actual we need to do an actual presidential debate thing but yeah yeah Uh, but there's one more thing that i want to do on this dnc though that's super important well that's that's what i wanted you to bring up yeah yeah so so like i said before i said barring any craziness bernie sanders does look like the front runner right away however i'm still kind of a beto guy in the background i'm still holding out for him and he's traveling to iowa which is first in the nation um, to campaign for uh, the guy whose name is eluding me right now, uh, who's running for Senate. Um, and uh, I don't think that that is, I don't think that that's a coincidence. Let's just put it that way. Like, he already said that last month he said, by the end of February, I'm going to have made my decision. And then at the end of February, he was like, I made my decision, but I'm not telling you right now. And it's like, all right, well, what are you waiting for? You know, like, let us know if you're in or you're not, right? And my opinion is I think he's looking for the right platform to announce. And 
one thing that he said at a campaign rally for that senator whose name I forget, um, towards the end of it, he was like, we'll see you soon. Now, I might be hanging on, on this too too much, but that struck me as like a glimmer of, I don't know, I don't want to call it hope, but like the possibility that he's probably going to run. And if he does, I think Bernie might be in a little bit of trouble because, you know, Beto O'Rourke isn't isn't particularly as socialist as Bernie is, right? So he'll get a lot more moderates on board. And frankly, hate to be ageist here, but he's much younger, much handsomer. He's very well-spoken. Um, and you know, I know you have some opinions on Beto that are probably not very favorable, but that's what I wanted to talk about, just like Beto jumping in and, and whether or not he would disrupt that party and whether or not he would have a chance at winning that nomination. All right, well, I'll take your word for it. I'll do more research on Beto. Wait, I'll say I'll do more research on Beto if he decides to run, because then it will be more relevant. Fair, all right. And, and, then and we also, can review, you won't have then to waste we can your time. That. We can we can take yeah. clips from this and rebuke this, and we can see where things that uh, see where I may have been mistaken on some of his policy. Um, but let's go on to the main topic of the day. We've been on for like twenty five minutes. We haven't touched <laughs> it yet. So let's talk. I, I wanted to talk about Yemen because uh, tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow on Wednesday, um, the Senate's going to be voting on a on a uh, on a resolution to stop funding the Saudis and the war in Yemen. Um, I don't know if you've read about that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's being spearheaded by Bernie Sanders and Mike Lee, so it's a bipartisan bill. Um, right. They tried passing one last month in February, but the bill got fucked up. The reason why the bill got fucked up is because. They put language in the bill um, regarding anti-Semitism and support for Israel, and then the bill got, like, because the bill had that language in it, it was no longer considered, like, a, uh, let me get the exact language on it. It got fucked up because of that. Like, they they put too much irrelevant information inside the bill where they couldn't pass it through, they couldn't actually pass it through the House, even though the vote, it, it was voted on, like, it. Typical um, politicians. Yeah, typical politicians. Up. They fucked up the bill. Probably purposely. But they're voting again tomorrow. Um, I wanted to talk about Yemen because I wanted to give like kind of like a a basic rundown and context of what's been going on over, I don't know, since... It's easy to say from 2015, and, and, and there's a lot of common misconceptions about the war. Um, so let's start at the beginning. How, how, did, how did all this shit happen? So let, let me just talk about the common mis- misconceptions, and I'll get into the history of the war. So the common misconceptions are that they're either that the, it's Trump's war, so Trump started the war for some odd reason. That's not true. Um, and then the other misconception, if you if you know that it started in 2015 officially, then kind and of like history starts it. there for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so I think people get, they have a uh, misconception about the timeline of the war, most of all. Um, when we say war, it means that there's no U.S. troops on the ground. Um, the U.S. is is uh, providing intelligence and logistical support for Saudi Arabia uh, as they engage in war against the Houthis in Yemen. Um, so th- there's no U.S. troops on the ground. It's just logistical support. So they're doing things like they're fixing airplanes and stuff. They're doing things like um, providing intelligence on where to bomb. Uh, in the beginning of the war, I know that they were actually – there were pilots – that were in the seat uh, with Saudi society, uh, Saudi pilots. Um, I don't think that's the case anymore as far as I know, but I know at least in 2015, I, I heard multiple reports of, of uh, 
of U.S. pilots uh, co-piloting Saudi jets or U.S. jets that were purchased by Saudi. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, let me get into the actual history of the war. So I, I think people need to understand that Yemen has been in a state of war since the 1960s. Mm-hmm. So basically, there was a civil war between royalists backed by the Saudis and communists backed by the Soviets and the Egyptians. And um, this was like the famous war that Nasser got involved in, the president of Egypt during the 50s and 60s. And it was like Vietnam for him. It was it was a complete disaster. Um, they say that one of the big reasons why Nasser, Nasser in Egypt got his, his clock clean during the, the uh, 1967 war with Israel is because he was so tied down in Yemen, which is probably true. You know, he was so tied down in Yemen that Israel just knocked him out immediately. Um, and he was he was destroyed because of that. Well, after that war, Yemen split and it remained two separate countries for about 30 years or so. Um, mm-hmm. So prior to 1988, Yemen was divided into two different countries. Um, in the south, there was the People's Democratic Republic of Yemen that and, and it's the capital was Aden. And then it was the only communist country in the Middle East, and they were allied with the USSR. Um, they were getting most of their financial aid from the Soviet Union. In the north of that, it was the it was the Arab Republic of Yemen, which was an Islamic state. So polar opposite. It's a communist country. This was a this was a a you know a theocratic state, and um, its capital was Sanaa, the capital right now, mm-hmm. and. The northern North Yemen was much more prosperous. It was highly pop, uh, populated. I think the population was seven million in North Yemen. It was two million in South Yemen. Um, what happened is that when the Soviet Union fell, they couldn't afford to dish out the financial aid anymore to to South Yemen. So South Yemen was about to collapse. So the two countries started talking about re, uh, reunification, and right. that ends up happening in 1990. So Saleh. The president of North Yemen, um, he was president for 11 years prior of North Yemen. He became the president of the new unified Yemen. And the former president of South Yemen, he became the VP. And um, I can't remember his name at the moment, but it was like a bead or something. So during the Iraq war, the first Iraq war, Desert Storm, uh, Yemen takes the side of Saddam Hussein. And they don't, like, actually take a side, but they, they express support for Saddam Hussein. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the U.S., the rest of the Western world, and all the allied Arab states of the U.S., they cut their financial aid to Yemen. And remember, this is the poorest country in the Middle East by far. So right. conditions get really, really bad. And the part that really suffers the most is South Yemen. South Yemen is the poor is, is I mean the whole country is poor, but South Yemen is is among the poorest places on this planet. Mm-hmm. Um so the VP, I think it's his name is Abid, he starts pushing for an independence movement and a civil war starts. And this is around nineteen ninety four, but the war was pretty short. So North Yemen wins and the country stays uh, unified. But Salah the president, he kicks out um, Albid, and he brings in his defense minister, Hadi, to be the new VP. He's the president, the, well, I guess the overthrown president or whatever you want to call him right now of Yemen. He's the current president. 
um, Hadi. And so his defense minister, who was promoted to VP, is now currently the president of Yemen. Exactly. So it, it, I know it's a lot of information out there but uh, that I just threw out. But yeah, the, the guy who is president right now, what's that? Just trying to get it straight, yeah. Yeah, so the guy right now was a former defense uh, minister, and he was upgraded because the previous VP tried to um, split the country in half. Again. But around this time, and take note, this is like the early 90s, so later in the 90s, there's a huge al-Qaeda insurgency in South Yemen. Mm -hmm. And um, at the same time as this, and five, six years later— a bunch of Zaidi Shiite tribes in the north of Yemen, um, they start a rebellion. So the Zaidi Shiite tribes, that they are the Houthis. Right. So, are they yeah, Al Qaeda? No, they're not Al Qaeda. They're okay. totally different. Different. Mm-hmm. Zaidis, Houthis are Shiites. Al Qaeda, they're Sunnis. They're radical Sunnis. Okay, so polar opposite then. <laughs> they're very, they're very, they fight each other. They're enemies with each other. Right. They're, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not friends whatsoever. It's like saying, you know, ISIS and Hezbollah hate each other. Mm. They're not, people try to conflate all the groups at once, like, oh, you support ISIS and Al Qaeda and Hezbollah. Those groups fucking, it's, it's impossible to support those groups at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Because, yeah. like, one contradicts. Usually you support one group to kill the other. That's usually, like, what, how it works. Like, oh, we'll pay you to kill that one. We're pissed off that's at that the, one. That's how U.S. foreign policy works, right? <laughs> In a nutshell, U.S. foreign policy is, <laughs> all right, what militia groups can we uh, should we side with right now? Let's pick the Shiites this time. Okay. All right, let's pick the Sunnis. Let's pick the Shiites. It's like a coin, you know? It, it's, it depends on who's in power. So if if whatever regime we're trying to change, usually that's the t- that's the— the sectarian group that we back. So like Saddam Hussein was a Sunni, so we back the Shiites. Bashar al-Assad was a, was a Shiite, so we back the Sunnis. So it's like always, it depends on who's the, who's the leader at that time. You know, our main number one wolf in the Middle East right now is Iran. So oftentimes we're a lot more sympathetic to Shiite groups. Or not Shiite groups, um, Sunni groups. Sunni groups, right. Rather than rather than Shiite groups. But at the same time, we're still allied with, at the same time, we're allied with Iraq, and Iraq is majority Shiite. In Iraq, you know, we allied, we're, we're allies with the with the Shiite militias there. We allied with them heavily to, to reclaim Mosul after it fell. So it's a, it's a whole shit fest, but I'm losing my point. So, yeah, so Al-Qaeda, there's a big Al-Qaeda insurgency in South, Ye- right. in, um, South Yemen in uh, the late 90s, and um, there's like a two-front war with uh with Saleh with the Houthis and Al Qaeda um Barack Obama becomes president in 2009 and he tells the CIA to unleash the drones against Al Qaeda in Somalia, Pakistan and uh in Yemen. And remember that when Al Qaeda declared war uh, on Al Qaeda declared war, Obama unleashed the drones and you know we we had them so he's like, "Well, we got to use them. I'll use them." Well, no boots on the ground, but damn, these things are cool. I always wonder. I always wonder when Obama, when they like gave, uh, Obama kind of ran on a platform. He didn't really specifically say that he was a non-interventionist, but he implied it. 
He without a doubt implied that he was one. Well, I think a lot of people got that impression because he was talking about pulling out of like the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, right? So that that was like a, a big trope, like trying to get out of you know foreign wars. So everyone get, got the impression that he's an interventionist, but really he was just like, all right, this is a this is a blood and money suck, right? We need to stop doing that. It's just more effective if we just send drones over. <laughs> that's 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 what ended up happening. What would happen is that forum, our strategy in toppling nations shifted as well. We we, we found out that there was an easier way to do it. Um, well, actually, we didn't find. We found out this through funding the Mujahideen in the '80s that you can foster sectarian violence to overthrow a government that you dislike and use drones at the same time. And I think that I, I wonder. I always kind of wonder if Obama walked into the White House. And he was like, well, we need to get out of here. We need to recreate America's image. We, you know, we can't be a big bully. And then somebody handed him a drone controller and he's like, oh, well, uh, this is pretty nice. Uh, whoa, whoa, White House, you're telling me I can control these? From <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a funny uh, theory, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of steps in between him saying he wants to pull out and him getting that controller that affected that decision. But sure, <laughs> it's fun to think about. Okay. I know it is fun. So, all right. Uh, Obama declares war on al-Qaeda in, in Yemen. Um, that's the most important thing to take note. And w what he does, you can't just start bombing a country. I guess you can, but you can't. You're not supposed to just start bombing a country the hell out of nowhere. So he goes to Saleh, the president of Yemen at this time. Mm -hmm. And he starts bribing him with guns and money to get permission to wage a drone war on al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. So what Saleh does is that he takes the guns and money, and he starts to go after the Houthis in North Yemen. But he doesn't succeed. He doesn't, he, I mean, there's like, I think he went after them like four or five times. Like, he kept on getting pushed back every single time he went after the Houthis. And the Houthis end up getting bigger. So the Arab Spring happens. Um, we don't have to go over that. So, yeah, the Arab Spring happens. And uh, there's all these massive protests. Um, there's assassination attempts. Mm -hmm. um, Salah's actually wounded in an attempted bombing or an actual bombing. Attempted assassination would be a better word for it. Um, and while he's out, the Saudis in the U.S. decide to replace him with the vice president, Hadi. His, the defense minister. who Right. So they literally hold an election with a one-man ballot. And you can look this up. You can Google Yemen ballot. <laughs> look it up. Should I look for an image? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. Check here for the one guy. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You would, think, uh... you would think that they would set up a straw man. Look at his face, too. I hate his picture. <laughs> Oh, man. Wouldn't you also, think that... that... Go, oh, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, uh, I was you... just going to say the, the picture of the country uh, with that, like, all the colors. Like, they're, they're just a couple shades off the uh, the gay pride flag there. But um, I don't think that was intentional. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's silly. Do you even... Is, is there even a spot for you to put your name or you just... <laughs> it's just like a paper ballot, like, put a check mark here and you're good to go. It doesn't fucking matter. It's a one-person one ballot. You can literally shit on every single ballot. He would still become yeah. president. <laughs> yeah. There is a gay flag next to him. Yeah. 
I mean, that's hilarious. If you're trying to, <laughs> I just this realized is a total that. joke. Yeah, it's like a total joke. Yeah. If you saw that in New York City, you would think it was a gay club. <laughs> uh, you would definitely think it was a gay club if you saw that in New York City. Yeah. Just check here for entrance to the uh, – I can't think of anything funny on the spot. <laughs> Insert sex pun here. <laughs> club. So the story, it gets, it gets crazier. So um, – they have this one-man election, a total bullshit farce election for, for Hottie. Um, and it turns out that no one likes him. Is that a big surprise? Like, no, like he's unpopular once he becomes president. And he's unpopular because everyone knows that he was a, he's a Saudi tool. Installation, right? He's a Saudi mm-hmm. installation. Right. And there's protest. There's, um, I mean, there's all this shit. And when... Salah, when he wakes up, when he well, he's, he's not literally sleeping, but I mean, he still exists. He's not dead. He's just he was wounded from the ascent, uh, attempted bombing. When he uh, recovers, um, he goes ahead and he actually takes the army. Can I have my the country army, back? The army's still a good part of the army is still loyal to Salah, the former president, and he goes and he joins a Houthi movement. <laughs> and they just took him. They were like, yeah, sure, whatever. Well, he had an army. <laughs> he makes a – I don't know if he technically joined the Houthi movement, but he made an alliance with them. So he aligns with the Houthis. So this combined movement of the Houthis and, and uh, the you know, about half – the like half of the army, a little bit more than half of the army in Yemen, they go down and they march down on the capital and they conquer Sana. And that's 2015. That's how the war begins. So what's Al Qaeda doing during this whole, you know, thing? What are they up to at that point? So Al Qaeda is in the south of Yemen right now, and 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 there's been reports and stuff. There's been reports of the UAE because the UAE is involved in this war as well, and Saudi Arabia working with Al Qaeda to fight the Houthis. So they they exist. There's when you have drone strikes and you're bombing groups like Al Qaeda, or or just when you're causing civil war in general. Um, usually that creates a perfect breeding, uh, breeding ground for groups like Al-Qaeda and groups like ISIS. There's been reports of ISIS in there as well. I don't know if they're ISIS, 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 or they're just people picking up a rifle saying they're ISIS. It's probably a, I, I, I would I would think the latter because anyone can call himself ISIS. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, do the uh, – do the – does Al-Qaeda play any part in the – "Quote unquote reasons why uh, Saudi Arabia and the UAE are at war with Yemen. Are, are they any part of that at all, or is it just you know against the Houthis?" Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, 
shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. No, it's against, it's against the Houthis. They're not at war with Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda. That's the correct way. Um, no, they're, they're, they have an alliance with Al-Qaeda. They don't have they don't have a technical alliance, but they I mean they they go ahead and they use Al Qaeda or through third parties they'll use Al Qaeda to kill some kill some Houthis. It's really uh, troubling I mean, considering the fact that we're like you know supporting. That's the playbook, though. Who, that's the playbook yeah. with like, that. That's the playbook when you're in it when you're when you're trying to topple a government or you're trying to topple a movement. You you pay the the group that hates them. That's the same. That's the playbook from Syria. The big the, the question is is that people who are in favor of the war, you know, the Republican congressmen, it's usually you hear it from them, or um, really anyone who's been backing this war, um, they say that we're there because of Iran, because Iran is, is a proxy Just gonna war. Just going to ask about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I was talking to Gregory Gauss. I interviewed him a couple, I don't know, about a month and a half ago. I interviewed Gregory Gauss, and he's you know a legitimate leader in Saudi in Gulf studies. And I asked him, I said, Hey, like how involved is Iran in this war? Is this, is it an actual, is this an actual proxy war? And he said, not really. His exact words were not, I'm not saying his exact words, but he, I'm paraphrasing him right now. But he basically said, um, this is more, Iran might throw them a bone every once in a while, but they're not a proxy force of Iran. They're not Hezbollah. They're not Hezbollah at all. So, there, and there's and there's actual kind of like you can make you can look at some evidence and some things that have happened over the past couple of years and you can kind of you can understand that Iran's not actually backing the Houthis to a degree where it's like really concerning. Um for example, I think the Iranians told the Houthis not to take Sana before they before they marched on it. I mean they did anyway, but they said like hey, don't take Sana cuz that's going to really start some shit with the Saudis. Right. There's no actual Iranian forces. There's some Hezbollah there who are training some soldiers, but there's no Iranian forces there. So I guess a good question would be, if Iran isn't really there, then why why is Saudi there? Why is why does Saudi Arabia want this war? What's the other side of that coin? Because they want the friendly government in there. I mean, that's really it. They don't want a hostile government. I mean, you can really spell it out by that. Um, some other things before I get into that, though. So there was this really weird Nikki Haley video, okay, where she where she was uh, speaking in front of a missile. She had a press conference in front of a missile, and she was talking about. She was saying, "This is evidence that Iran is supplying the Houthi movement." Well, it ended up that that wep- that missile ended up being from North Korea, and they tracked it down. And Yemen bought that bought bought that missile a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't I, I really so the don't. Iranian thing doesn't even have legs then really I think that Iran sees this as a good opportunity for just to fuck with the Saudis a bit yeah sure. because the Saudis are using millions and and they kind of I think Iran recognize like man the Saudis are really bare like they're digging their own grave with this one like let's not stop it maybe we'll throw them a bone every once in a while 
but so maybe keep it just give him enough to keep it alive for longer basically yeah but i don't think they're they're really financing anything they're not training soldiers um the only ev- I, I the only evidence is that hezbollah is down there but i i ran who's kind of a proxy for for iran aren't they yeah well i mean they were they were they were founded by iranians like yeah yeah like it's they're they're not hezbollah they're not like this 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 asset of iran like i don't think iran really gives a shit about the houthis that much well, all right here's a better way to rephrase it i think the houthis are more interested in being an iranian client than iran having them as a client Mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to rephrase it. I think that the Houthis would love to be a Hezbollah type thing, but Iran's like, eh, no, not really interested. Not right really. Now. That's gonna. They, they understand that it, that would just start some shit. Like right. if there is Hezbollah and then there was the Houthi movement in the south, like on the border of both ally, both of our main allies in the Middle East, they understand. Yeah, Iran doesn't. Would. Iran doesn't want Saudi Arabia to unleash those new F thirty fives on them. <laughs> I mean, what's the what's the difference between the F thirty five and the F sixteen or the drone, yeah. or when you're getting bombed? And and yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't really think whatever jet would make a difference. But, um, I mean, I lost my fucking train of thought. But there, there's the, the reasons for the war. I think with Saudi is that one reason I think is that MBS had just become the deputy crown prince at the time, and he was a defense minister, and. You know, he he wanted to solidify his position. Do you know what I mean? Just becoming defense minister. I think that's kind of like a symbolic reason. Yeah, I mean, I found it found it a little interesting that 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 they installed the defense minister as as the as the the president thereafter. I mean, like, I, do you know anything about why they picked him specifically? Just because he was friendly to Saudi Arabia? Like, what? Why him? Why that guy? As far as I know, he just exhibited a more pro-Saudi stance. You think, I think he was colluding? I, I think that's really it. I think that I think the U, the CIA, probably and the Saudis, they they recognize him as someone who would just be more who would be pro-Saudi, and it's it's really important to. I think Yemen is actually more important to Saudi Arabia than you think. When you start looking at the reasons why Saudi Arabia has a geopolitical interest in Yemen, I think things start make. So things start to make a little bit more sense. So Yemen is kind of in a very strate- important place when you think about it, like where it's located. Geographically, right. Geographically, it's right on the Horn of Africa. And the Bab el-Mandeb Strait is one of the most important choke points in the world. So between Somalia and Yemen on the west coast, the southwestern coast of the Arabian Peninsula... Yeah, we're going to need to throw up a map on the YouTube here so people know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> but do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, no, I do. Yeah, yeah. So they – the way that you ship oil to Europe is that you got to ship it. The oil, All the oil refineries are in the East Coast. Like that's where all, the oil fields are all on the East Coast. Their major shipping ports are on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. They would – they need to ship their oil – down across the Arabian Peninsula, and then they go up, and they have to pass. They have to pass the uh, the Man the Mandeb Strait, and they go up, and they go to the Suez Canal, and on to Europe, into mm-hmm. the Mediterranean, and over to. Yeah, Europe. they got to go around it, right? So that's one thing. However, when you think about it, 
they do have a pipeline that goes to the Red Sea anyway, right? So they have their right. Saudis pipelines go from east to west, right? So they can ship out of you know Jeddah and all the big they have they have ships on on the Red Sea, mm-hmm. and um, something else that's interesting is that the oil tankers that have crossed the reason why it's kind of shut down because it is they, they, they i'm not sure if it's completely shut down right now but they they did limit the amount the access of tankers going through the strait the bob elman deep strait they the houthis bomb them the houthis, houthis try to bomb those tankers that pass them because you got to remember the houthi the, the, like the houthis have port access that's why there is a bar embargo that's why there is a blockade because the houthis have port access so they're able to get to those to those tankers so it's a dangerous climate. So the so the Saudis would have to go down to get oil to Europe. They'd have to go down in, in below South Africa and then back up into the Mediterranean. It's bad miles, and then adds a lot of additional cost to the price of oil at the end of the day. Right. There's more shipping mm-hmm. costs, and it just takes longer and all that stuff. But when you think about it, though, like that still shouldn't be that big of an issue because— the majority of Saudi's oil exports all they are the Asia. Right, so they're going in the opposite direction anyway. Yeah, they're going in the opposite direction. And not all of them. I think I wrote down the figure right here. So yeah, sixty five percent of their oil exports go to they go to uh, like China, Japan, India, South Korea, Singapore, and you know, right. all those Asian countries. The other ten percent like another ten percent of their oil goes to North America. That goes to the US. Right. And that doesn't go through the Red Sea. That goes down no. below Africa, and then it goes right. crosses over to the Atlantic. That doesn't. They don't need that. So it really doesn't make sense where that's just the, the European deep strait. Saudi doesn't sell that much oil to Europe. That's right. Comparatively to the rest of their, uh, as you pointed out, right. That's like seventy five percent of their oils going elsewhere anyway. Yeah. So what's the most important market in the world for in the energy sector? In the energy sector, it's 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 Asia it's by Asia. far. Yeah. It's Asia by far, and it's got a growing market. The reason why is because countries like China and Japan and Indonesia China. and all these China. China, 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 China. Um, they're 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 um fresh they're on exploding. development, really. Yeah, you know they're what I mean? Like right now, yeah. they have they're they're not in the stage that a lot of Western they're the, countries are. They're 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 growing. in the growth phase, right? Right. And, and what they're you already need to grow, huge. Yeah. You need energy. Absolutely. You need lots of energy. Mm-hmm. So why so why does it matter if they close that down? Well, the reason why is because they need to they, they need to ship oil to the to the west uh, out of their their western ports. But their western or their, excuse me, their eastern ports. Um, that's the majority of their shipping. I know I'm ranting and I'm repeating myself, but I'm just trying to get all this information out there for all you kind folks. Um they're trying to get in for, they're trying to ship oil out of their eastern ports because that's the majority that's where their oil pipelines are and that's where their biggest ports are. I think it's right. about sixty five percent of their oil is shipped from their west. So this is on the Strait of Hormuz. Mm-hmm. So the Strait of Hormuz on the other side of that is Iran. That's right. Now, if there was any type of conflict with Iran between the U.S. and Iran, between Israel with Iran, between Saudi and Iran, between any country, any Western country with Iran, then what would Iran use as a deterrent? They don't have nukes. Right. They're going to shut down the Straits of Hormuz. Their deterrent is the Strait of Har- is shutting down the Strait of Hormuz. That's right. They would shatter the global economy. It just wouldn't be the Saudi economy. It would be the global economy. They would shatter it. Especially those that's Asian why, countries. 
that's why I don't think Iran ever really needed nukes. Like, I think that, yeah, nuclear weapons, they're deterrents, but I think some countries have other deterrents besides nuclear weapons. As you go, as we spoke about North Korea, we said that they have other deterrents besides nukes. They their have artillery. artillery. Yeah, right. artillery. Their ground they, forces. Their ground forces, but they also have another kind of weird kind of deterrent that you don't really think about, and that's the threat of their migration. Like, mm-hmm. if you destroy that state, where are they going to go? Have all, you'd have North Koreans flooding into China. China doesn't want that. China. Whenever I say China, I just can't stop. China. China. Yeah. China. Um, China. They don't. They don't want that. Like they, China doesn't want a bunch of North Korean refugees who don't speak the language. Who probably they're, they're going to have to build another wall. They're, <laughs> they're going to have to build another wall. <laughs> the new. That would be hilarious. The new Great China Wall. If China had a big refugee or a big migrant crisis and they built a new wall and they called it like the Hongqing Kaing and it was the Great Wall 2 or something. <laughs> great Wall 2. And okay. then and then the they great. did it faster than Trump did and Trump would be all upset like, hey, what the hell? They got a wall. I China want a wall. is building a wall. <laughs> that China has a wall. Why can't we have a wall? Walls work. Wheels work. China has a great wall. The wall wars. China has two great walls now. I want a wall. We only have one. Okay. We need another wall. Okay. China's got two. It's made out of cheaper stuff. All right? Just cheap plastic. Eh. Then wall. <laughs> um, yeah. So if Iran shut down, if they shut down the Strait of Hormuz, the whole world is shattered. Like the global economy is shattered. So um, Saudi needs to find another way to ship out oil. They need a backdoor. In the event that the Strait of Hormuz is ever shut down. That's right. Now, um, I have the article up. So, Saudi Arabia... Saudi... That's going to be my thing. So, Saudi Arabia, they proposed a pipeline through Yemen. They proposed a pipeline through Almara, which goes south into Yemen. It's like on the south eastern part of yemen it goes it goes straight it just goes straight just down goes straight down the fields. east coast yeah. right, right it goes straight right. down the east coast from their from their oil fields and they would potentially ship out oil there um they've also proposed building a port in that town as well and uh this was reported i have the articles up it's by one's by algeria uh, al jazeera uh, august 20th 2018 i think it pretty much goes back but they take some letters that were written so they're trying to build a port down in yemen so they can bypass the Strait of Hormuz in case anything goes wrong. Right. They also can't build a port if that shit is crazy. <laughs> they also need to export as much oil as possible. Mm-hmm. Like they can't be sitting on oil. They need as much port access as possible. They have the largest reserves in the world. Um, their whole economy is based on just their economy is based off providing social benefits to their country to keep them from revolting. Really, when you think about right. it. Like they right. have a mutual understanding. I talk about this all the time, but Saudi Saudi pays off their citizens not to not to be assholes, not to revolt, or assholes to them. Like they get free health care, they get free electricity. They education is Bernie, it's Bernie yeah. Sanders' dream. Besides the Bernie Sanders for president of Saudi Arabia, twenty twenty. Bernie Sanders' <laughs> dream is Saudi Arabia. Besides the stoning people to death for adultery, you know. Um, 
so yeah, that, I mean, that's the, that's the main it's thing. A, it's just a little too warm in, in Saudi Arabia. I don't think I'm going to be running there. There's too much sand here. There's too much sand here. Oh, yeah, I have to wear a hat. I lost my hair when I was a young man, and I have to wear a hat now. And I hate wearing hats, and I have to wear one here. I, I don't you get think the... I can be your your new president. 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 Oh, MBS. <laughs> oh, you see, Saudi Arabia, they have good, they have a very good system. You can but keep your yeah. sand. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess you could ask another question too. Would be why don't they just build one in Oman? Um, oh man, like why couldn't they just build a port in Oman? And that's a pretty good question. I don't think Oman wants them there. That's the main thing. I don't think anyone wants them there. <laughs> and like Oman has like a pretty yeah, no one really wants them there, right? Um, but Oman has like a very unique role in the Middle East. They they serve as a mediator between Saudi Arabia and Iran. They're right. like kind of like that mutual party that right. they can talk to each other through. You know what I mean? So they They're can't kinda... risk having like a business relationship because it would sour that position that they've got. If they had a business relationship with Saudi like that. And there are business ties. Don't get me wrong; like there are, but like having a business tie that, like that, that would, yeah. that would, that would uh, basically ruin Iran's only deterrence. Mm-hmm. And I'm not 100 percent sure about this, like the extent of Oman Saudi relations and their business ties. But that's like I'm just speculating right now on the Oman thing. But I, I would think that if Iran, if Saudi were to build a port in Oman, um, I mean Oman's not the poorest country in the world, like Yemen, or fifth poorest country in the world, like Yemen. Um, whatever it is right now, it's, you know, it's at the poverty level where it doesn't even matter. Like, how do you get more poor than like the top, the, the 20 poorest countries in the world? Poor is poor when you're that, that poor. Yeah. Yeah. Poor is poor when you're that poor. But, um, I mean, Oman also has like a, they have like a beautiful coastline that they're trying to attract. They, they want tourism there. Um, I know there's yeah, a lot stick of a pipeline on there now. <laughs> yeah. You want to stick a pipeline? I mean, they have pipelines through Oman. It's no, not, no, I'm just it's saying. Not, it's not unusual but it's like they don't want like a saudi pipeline and the construction of a port when they're a tourist their their economy depends on tourism and um they have a lot of investment from china and stuff like that so there's some pressure there from china yeah (laughs) i keep china keeps it coming back um (laughs) so i think i think that's the main reason for the war is because they need a friendly government there in case to, I, I don't think there's a threat of I, of there being a war with Iran between any of our allies. However, it would be nice to take that strategic card away from Iran at the end of the day. Yeah. So that that's my 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 thing. That that's how I. I'm not. It's not how I feel. But like that's my shtick on Yemen. Like why the war is happening because the Saudis need port access. They need a friendly. They need a friendly government down there. Um, hopefully that made sense that I didn't just rant for too no, long. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's really great context. I guess, you know, the, the only open question is, is it, is it worth us giving logistical support for? <laughs> and I guess that's, that's what, what's going to be voted on on Wednesday. I don't know. I mean, what do you, what do people think? Do you think it's give it, it's worth giving, knowing the contest and just if, if the context I gave is correct, like if, if it's just the, the war is the, the reason for the war is to take away Iran's deterrence of shutting down global oil markets. I mean, do people think that's worth it? I don't think it's worth it. Like I, I, I think, I think the, well, first of all, it's definitely not worth it for Saudi. No. Saudi is building, I don't, I forget the figure, but they're spending some, some kind of crazy number. It's like, 
It's in a hundreds of millions of day on this war. They're stuck in Vietnam right now. Right. It's not getting any better either. Roy Casagranda, he said that. I love how he said this. He said, um, Yemen is Arabic for Vietnam. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which I thought was hilarious. But, yeah, Yemen is Vietnam. Um, Yeah. For Arab countries. That's a good point. I mean, I I think it's a stupid idea just because I think that – I mean, I've already expressed this on the show that I think that oil is going to be pretty irrelevant and – the timeline that they're working with to get a solution to this oil problem is running up against the timeline for oil being relevant in my in my opinion so it's like basically they're wasting a shit ton of money on a war they're going to waste even more money if they ever come to a resolution on said war and get what they want out of it by that point you know who knows (laughs) who knows well, I think the humanitarian the humanitarian reasons are, are, are I mean, just them alone. Yeah, I mean, makes uh, it obviously. Unacceptable. But like, it's like, it's it's like it's, they, they clearly don't give a shit about the humanitarian points, right? So if, like, I'm making a pitch to MBS to be like, hey, you should probably stop, the humanitarian part is probably going to be the last thing I'm going to talk about, even though that's probably the most important thing to talk about. They don't give a shit about that. Like, if they gave a shit, they wouldn't be doing this in the first place. What they give a shit about is the oil the money and it doesn't look like either of those situations are, are are panning out to be very profitable for them so there you go well there's no end for them there's no end for saudi it's like i think they want to get out of this war somehow but they just don't know how to like i really think they know that this is a huge mistake and they and this is this is ending up this this has turned out to be a total disaster for saudi but they don't know how to get out of there because they don't want to show weakness. And I, I think I think MBS is a guy with a tremendous amount of pride and ego. So I, I think that he doesn't want to admit that his the war that he was the architect for um, was a complete failure that cost millions and millions and millions of dollars. Well, all they need I think to do is I go on to an... No, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. The only way – I don't – like what does victory look like for this war? In, in terms of Saudi, like what does what does victory look like? Is it you, you get Hadi back on the throne? That's not gonna happen. Right. <laughs> that's not gonna fucking happen. Like that's like what does victory look like? To kill victory. everyone? <laughs> <laughs> victory for them should be that they use all that money that they would be using in this war to buy an old US aircraft carrier and then MBS can go like to a old vintage thrift shop and pick up like one of those flight suits and he can go on the deck just like George W. Bush did and said, victory. <laughs> and that'll, that's, that's what the end of the war should look like for them. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we killed, uh, we won thousand people. We won. That's a, that's the score we were looking for. But yeah, the humanitarian. I mean, I don't want to go over just the humanitarian stuff because I think anyone who's familiar with Yemen right now, they're probably listening to this because they know the you know the human cost to this war. Um, And maybe for those people that didn't know about it, now they can get some broader context to it because there is a huge, huge uh, human cost to this. So the thing about uh, getting the metrics for this is that I'm always really confused when looking at the death amount. Really, any war in the Middle East, is, it's really impossible to get, like, a proper amount of casualties. Um, but I do know that the numbers are, are – they really vary anywhere between, like, 
I've seen figures that are as low as 10,000 and as high as like 200,000. Like I've seen not a lot of numbers that, that are, that have very broad range. Um, I think what I've heard on average, is like around like 80,000 civilians have died, which is a lot of people. Um, it's also just like the famine, like the fucking the, the, the main problem. Yeah, the main problem is the famine. Is the, right. the main problem is the is the famine? It's the blockade, really. Like the fact that so Yemen doesn't produce food. It's in the they're, desert. <laughs> they're in the middle of a desert, so they can't like grow their own food. Like they depend on imports to feed their population. They can't do that. So a big part of the population is on the brink of starvation. And, of course, there's other things as well, like there's cholera outbreaks. There's all these diseases. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen, like, different figures on that as well. Like, I, I've i seen figures where they said, like, like 50% of the country has cholera. I don't think that was true. I think the way that they were doing the stats is that they were counting anyone who had diarrhea as someone with cholera. And of course, a lot of the pictures that they're showing of these people who are starving are people in the cities with, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're meant to get your human attention. Not to say that that suffering isn't going on because it absolutely is. Yeah, um, definitely. The majority of the majority of that of that suffering is out in the country because people don't. Yemen is 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 kind of like sparsely populated. Like people live all over, so most of the people who are dying, you're not seeing. They're just in their houses and they die alone, um, which is you know sad but which is sad i say it so uh so uh objectively but it's like it's it's a fucking humanitarian crisis a right. big time humanitarian crisis thousands of people are dying a day i don't know about thousands but like many people are dying a day due to airstrikes and things like that and many, many people are, are literally suffering. Like even if they like death yeah. is almost sweeter than what they are experiencing right now. Like the the famine, the disease, you know, just the uncertainty of living in that country is almost a face worth worse than death at that point. And there's millions of people that are being affected by that. You're and you're day. yeah, you're doing it you're you do a better job at describing um, emotional stuff. Well, but it's fucking bad. It's you have really more emotions. <laughs> you have more emotions. It's really fucking bad there right now. Um, so what can the U.S. do? So the, the U.S. can stop providing logistical support and selling the weapons. That's what the U.S. can do if they wanted to stop this. And that is being set in motion. There's been, I think we spoke about this briefly, but there's been a couple of bills in the house or resolutions in the house and in the Senate to put an end to stop providing logistical support to Saudi. There's one tomorrow. Now, after hearing the context that it's, it's an uh, effort to, to, uh, you know, placate Obama literally said, I don't know. Obama didn't say this, but someone from the White House said that the reason why they gave the green light on the war in Yemen because they wanted to placate the Saudis after the Iran deal. I mean, that wasn't. That's, if that's the truth, that's a fucking mistake. It was a mistake. One. But and, I mean, and it's especially a mistake if you didn't, if you're not a fan of the Iran deal in the first place. But you know, I I, I think that that's. Very fucking troubling. Um, I always have this question about it, but it's just like, why placate them? They're just not. This relationship doesn't make sense. Like, we're not getting anything 
out of them that that is of benefit to us in any meaningful way and you know and and it won't be of benefit to us in 20 30 years definitely not you know so i really hope that this that this um legislation goes through and then maybe maybe mbs can use this as a spring off point to be like hey we can't continue the war here because the u.s isn't helping us anymore so maybe it'll make them look less bad for pulling out and less weak you know so i don't know who knows they need to find some way to to declare victory. That's the only way that Saudi's going to get out of it. It's, I, I don't know what victory looks like. It doesn't seem like victory is going to be. There's no realistic. Uh, there's no realistic way that you could say that Saudi came out of this a winner. Um, they came out of this looking. They came. There was a combination of things because no one knew about this war. Most people can't point Yemen in a map. Um, let's just be honest. Not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying Yemen's not covered. You know what I mean? Like it's not someone's fault if they don't know about the war because it's just very sparsely covered. I've heard something really crazy. So between August 2017 and August 2018, MSNBC didn't cover Yemen once in one year. <laughs> Jesus, one year. I don't know about the other networks. I just saw this interesting stat. It might have been longer. So, because of what the stat I saw was from August 2018, it was like, yeah, yeah, MSNBC hasn't covered the war in a year. That's fucking crazy. MSNBC is a major broadcaster. They're they're top three news network in the U.S. That's they nuts. are a majorly left leaning <laughs> one. And, well, MSNBC uh, is the yeah. new war network. Yeah, MSNBC stole that from Fox News. Yeah. Um, it's kind of weird to see MSNBC because like now you have MSNBC went out of their way to like hire all these ex intelligence guys and all that. And they have Rachel Maddow is just now obsessed with Russia. I I don't MSNBC is just, I I think it's kind of like a left leaving a left leaning flavor flavored newscast for the deep state. And I know that sounds so Alex Jonesy, but they see, they, They've been infiltrated by the deep state. They've been MSNBC has been infiltrated by the deep state. Oh, baby Jesus is going to come down. Lord Zenu resurrected. (laughs) Joseph Stalin will come back and enslave all of America with globalist policies and put us into gulags in Canada. Oh, they're turning the frogs freaking gay. I'm sick of this shit. I'm sick of this. Did you see him on Joe Rogan the other day? Oh my god, no. I heard he was, though. I can't wait to watch it. Dude, I didn't see the entire art. I, didn't, I did not see the entire video. or the. This is like interview. appearance number two for him, right? On Joe Dude, Rogan, right? I just want to see your reaction. Oh, uh, we yeah. I'll, I'll have to watch that now. All right, no, like as soon as yeah, Put on Joe... Um, Joe... I'm going to play this on the podcast, too. The governor! Listen, Listen to me! You really think... Do you really think... There's people out there campaigning for late-term abortions. You think that shit's real? You the think Senate that shit's real? voted Monday to keep it legal. Who would do that? Who would do that? that? Who would campaign for that's they the most? Re- did it, that Bravo. is the craziest and shit you ever. Can't 
fucking admit they're fucking killing already more kids? So you're telling me it isn't real when they had a fucking vote in the goddamn fucking Senate? That's what a the conspiracy fuck? theory. I am ready to beat you. That's a conspiracy theory. You think just... you're fucking tough? You're about to get it. Bullshit! <laughs> They're killing already born babies. Stop fucking lying. God fucking damn it! I'm getting pissed now. Don't get pissed. Go. No, pee. I mean okay. you saw the dude. It's he going to see it. Fucking with you, Alex. 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 Fucking with you. Fucking Senate voted to kill babies. Let me. And they're fucking born. Oh my god, I love those like animations that they put on you like went super saiyan and shit that's awesome that's awesome it's unbelievable this guy i don't i don't even know what they were arguing about but that's fucking great so they were fucking with them i think i i did not watch the entire interview i've only saw like clips of it but apparently uh, I, I gotta do that apparently eddie bravo was fucking with him and he was telling them about he was saying that the late term abortion bill mm-hmm. that passed in new york and um, they tried to pass in Virginia was only a conspiracy and that didn't happen. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Alex, they were like, fucking get with them. Your like you're making it up there. You're making it up. You know, Alex Jones is all about the kids. Like they're killing the kids. They're, they're killing the kids. <laughs> Goddamn vampire pedophiles are coming to take us away. They're going to take our kids. They're going to go through their wall. There's a new cloaking device from George Soros. Hillary Clinton was involved as well. Like, you know, <laughs> um, so they were like just saying from the context I got, they were just acting like it was a conspiracy and that he was making it up. That's funny. And that's why he freaked out. <laughs> I don't know to this day how much is it that he's crazy or how much he's just a complete act. I'm still on that line. Well. Just depends on which Alex Jones you want to listen to, because he's basically said both. <laughs> he's basically said both. He basically has said, like, you know, on his show, this is he's like speaking the truth, and and in the courtroom, he's just playing an act. So who knows? Who fucking knows? All right. Well, any more questions on Yemen? Because we're at an hour and twenty minutes, and I'm gonna wrap no. this thing up because I'm putting it out tomorrow, and I'm gonna edit it. it. My my computer is dying anyway, so uh, I'm pretty good. Um, all right, everyone, thank you for listening to another episode of Bro History. Uh, hopefully you guys got a lot out of our our Yemen conversation. It's a, it's a brutal war. Uh, you can just look up pictures in Google if you want to see the, the human cost of it. Um, I'm not going to go. We didn't really go into it that much because most people, I think most podcasts and most videos I've seen that go over Yemen, they really only go over the humanitarian suffering, which is good. Like, you need to spread light on that stuff, but... Um, I wanted to deliver a little bit more context into the contemporary, the, the uh, modern situation that's going on right now. Uh, but yeah, there's a vote that's going on tomorrow, so I would pay attention to that. Um, if you're really interested in it, then you can call your congressman or congresswoman um, to show your support for ending the war in Yemen. All you need to do is just call and be like, "Hey, listen, I, I don't want like I'm supporting to end the war in Yemen," and they'll know what you're talking about. But only if you're into that kind of stuff. Not obviously forcing anyone to make any type of political. I'm not, this is not a call to action. You know what I mean? Um, do what you want after, you know, based on what you feel or based on what you read or based on what you heard. Um, but it's, uh, it's a bad world out there. Any closing words? No. (laughs) Okay. Peace, everyone. Peace.
It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.